You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and give me a call. You know, I've been doing book reviews at the beginning of every show, and I'm not going to do a, a review tonight. I, I'm going to let you know that I'm kind of combining three books. I, I did a pretty uh, extensive review on The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's book number one by Stephen Covey. And then two books that I think really go along with it well, because building those seven habits in that book will virtually change your life and, and allow you to accomplish anything you want, really. But building habits is not easy, even if you know what habits to build, and that's what the book is all about. So I'm including two other books that I think will really help you understand how to build and develop those habits. So I'm kind of putting these three books together, and I'm reviewing the second one now I'll move on to the third and then I'll kind of do a recap and tell you how they all work together but I thought I'd tonight just give you an idea of what the three books are so it's the seven habits of highly effective people the willpower instinct by Kelly McGonigal and the power of habits by Charles Duhigg so if you want to grab those books and listen along or wait, I guess, and see if the review is interesting to you, I'll uh, continue on with the reviews later this week. Tonight, we're going to get to some phone calls. We're going to start off in Alabama. James, welcome to the program. How's it doing, uh, Kevin? Good. What can I help you with today? Blood pressure. Uh, I just did a... Um a physical uh, about a week and a half ago. And it turns out the uh, FMCSA requires that my blood pressure be uh, 140 over, I think, 88 and below. And mine was like 178, right, that day. And I I just made a lot of mistakes. I I didn't sleep all that well. I drank caffeine. I was rushing around. And so uh, since then, I've dropped all the five-hour energies and – and I've got my blood pressure down. It, it kind of stays above. It's like 156. The only way I can really get it below that to like the 130s and all that is to run and then sit down for a few minutes, like 20 minutes, and then it'll get below 140. Uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to work uh, when I had to sit in a, in a medical office for a while waiting for a doctor because my blood pressure may raise back up You know, while I'm sitting there. Yeah, so when do you have to retest? By when? Uh, September 19th, I have to go see my doctor because what they did is they gave me a uh, three-month medical card, 
but I have to see my primary care doctor, which is a, a, just a pain because you have to deal with the VA. So I have to wait until September 19th to talk to him. Okay. So that gives you some time because there, there aren't any dependable quick fixes. You know, like you said, you might be able to run and if the timing is just right, but that's not real dependable. So right. we need to work on some strategies that will actually lower it permanently, not just, you know, hope for the best. Um, diet is obviously number one. And so far, right. the best diet I've found for lowering, lowering blood pressure is kind of a modified ketogenic. So we talk about the ketogenic diet all the time. That's high fat, right. moderate protein, low carbohydrate. That goes a long way. If we I modify have a question that, about that. Okay, Kevin, I have one question, but I'm pretty much on a ketogenic diet. I've talked to you many times about what I'm eating. Uh, it's high fats, very little proteins. I don't eat many vegetables. Could this be part of the problem? I eat, I eat like eggs. I'll eat like uh, butter and and uh, olive oil, and uh, I'll eat some right. uh, like kale and all that. But I don't eat many vegetables at all. Well, that's where I was starting to say a modified ketogenic. So we okay. still want to focus on high fat, moderate protein, but we can up the carb count some if the carbs are the right carbs, and that does help lower blood pressure. So. Um, focus on some of the root vegetables. Sweet potatoes are a great option. Okay. Uh, any of the greens. So, you know, eat salads, but don't eat salads with Pittsburgh lettuce, not even romaine. Eat salads that are right. primarily spinach, uh, baby spinach right. leaves, mixed greens, you know, the darker red lettuces. And right. focus on salads or vegetable dishes with lots of color and those okay. are the and and then we also want to keep the mineral balance right that's a big part of um, blood pressure so yeah i use uh, i use a light light balance i do drink that i'm going to order some more of that okay. i'm also on my medication too i'm, I'm on uh so i'm also on that I've been going back to that, and that has helped me with my lowering my blood pressure. Then, so so add more vegetables. Make sure you keep doing the light balance every day. That's the product I was going to recommend, right. by the way. So keep doing that. Eat more vegetables, right. salads, um, sweet potatoes, carrots. So you can add those um, carbs back in. That's why I say it's kind of a modified ketogenic and that's going to help lower blood pressure better and then right. lifestyle is big lifestyle is really big when it comes to blood pressure so you know the the fact that you can go run and then 20 minutes later it's lower that's a sign that we should be getting more activity and and if you consistently get activity like that every day or several times a week you're going to see a lowering over time. I would also highly yeah. recommend meditation. Yeah, I, I do five minutes of meditation and I exercise every day. When I run, I run about a mile and a half at a time. But I do one okay. exercise a day. Okay. I, I would look at meditating longer. Five minutes is a great okay. start. I, I would work that up to 15 a day um, mm -hmm. or 
three five-minute sessions if you like that better, um, but get a little more time in. And rather than just go run a mile and a half, I, have you ever um, – are you familiar with high-intensity interval training? Um, not really, no. Okay, so let me explain the difference. And it, it's really nice because it takes less time and it's more effective. So I would imagine your mile-and-a-half run takes you 30 minutes. It takes me, yeah, a mile-and-a-half takes me about 16 minutes. Oh, okay. So you're running a pretty good pace. Yeah. Okay. So in about the same amount of time, what if you can do, I'll tell you the ideal way to do this since you like to run. You can do high-intensity training in a lot of different things, but if you're already comfortable running, rather than just go run at a steady pace for a mile-and-a-half, if you can find a hill, it works better, but you can do it on flat ground. If you can find a hill, you literally sprint as hard as you can for 20 to 30 seconds. Then turn around okay. and walk back down the hill and walk for about a minute. Then sprint okay. back up 20 to 30 seconds, then walk back down. And in... And you can play around with those times and see what works. But what you want is a, a period of just full-out activity and then a slightly longer period of rest, but you want to keep moving. You don't want to just stop. You want to walk a little bit. And, and do that maybe like eight sets, so eight sprints, eight, you know, um, walking kind of pace. You can also do so this on a bike. About 30 seconds and then, then just walk back to where I was at and sprint back? Yeah. And yep. do eight sets of that? Okay. That right. will it, – it's better conditioning, and, and it will be more effective at lowering blood pressure. And then you can mix okay. that up. So what, what it does is kind of keep your body always reacting. Because what happens when we right. do aerobic – um, I, it's the kind of the phenomenon where you see marathon runners who start gaining weight and no matter how much they run, they keep gaining weight. It's because their body uh, just acclimates to that pace. So by right. doing the high intensity and altering the pace a lot, your body is always reacting to it. So it, it kind of helps with plateaus, but it will really help with your blood pressure. So work on that. Call me back in a month, and let's see what's going on with it. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. Let's head off to Ohio. Lee, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I have a question about tires and tire pressure, and then I have another topic I'd like to bring up if uh, you have time for that one. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so I'm a company driver for a small fleet here in Finley, Ohio. I love the company. I don't know if you'll let me get in a plug for them or not, but they have a four-on-four-off program that I just love. I I get in about 2,000 miles a week in four days flat, and then I take uh, four days off. It's fantastic. Um, Oh, yeah. But their maintenance director is instructing all of us to uh, – there's only two owner-operators. We're all kind of, you know, employee drivers here, and our instructions are to run 110 PSI – in the steer axle and 100 psi in the drives and the trailer. And these are all low-range G tires, rated, of course, at 110. So I want to go to this guy and say, you're costing yourself X number of miles per gallon fleet-wide by running 16 out of 18 tires 10 psi lower than they should be. So what do you think that figure is? You know, it's not big. Um I, this is a really, really common practice, and the guy's going to find if he's, you know, looking at manuals, if he's looking online, if he's part of, say, the TMC. There's he's going to find is. a tremendous amount of evidence that what he's doing is just fine. So it's going to be really difficult to convince him that there's a better way. Um, and and I wish I could give you a bigger number. But honestly, that 10 pounds of pressure is really minor when it comes to fuel economy. You know, we talk about it here because with owner-operators, we like pushing, um, you know, every limit and squeezing out every tenth that we can. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so I've always pushed running the high end of the pressure range. And I've always done it just for fuel economy. The interesting thing was when I met Mike Beckett a long time ago and I brought it up to him and I said, look, is there any downside to this? I said, we watch tire wear and we push it right to the top of the limit without creating any irregular tire wear. And he said, no, there's no downside. And he said, I recommend the same thing. But he said, I recommend it because of wear problems, because he said, in all the years I've been doing this. I never run into a tire problem because there's too much pressure. He said, we always run into problems because there's not enough pressure. So he said, that's I exactly always. exactly the conversation I heard. Yeah. He, he's, and that's yeah. what I heard from him, you know, three weeks ago on the power hours or whatever show it was, the toe end. And, and he's, he's like, you can't go wrong by overinflating a tire up to the wheel limit. So I just, so this company also now, he is a firm believer in his recaps. He, he likes to run quality oh, caps. Wow. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if that's the reason, that by going 10 PSI, he's less likely to throw a cap. Is that right? That uh, honestly, I think you're more likely. Really? See the, well, the, the harder we make the tire, the less it's going to flex. And that's right. why we get better rolling resistance, because if you take a piece of rubber – and you flex it back and forth, what happens to it? Heat. Heat. Heat is always lost energy, always. So anytime right. we develop heat, we're losing energy to create that heat. So if we make a tire nice and stiff and it doesn't flex, it won't get as hot, 
it is more efficient, but also it's heat that usually destroys a tire. It's, it's heat over time that will cause a cap to come apart. So isn't over- the science of that that the – I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Isn't the science of that that the heat actually makes the rubber uh, softer, more pliable, and therefore more likely to separate the, the cap or, or create a, a lifting? Yeah, bubble? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If we put enough heat to that cap, we could peel it right off. I right. mean, that's how it's it's put together with heat. So if we put enough heat back to it, we could take it apart. So the you will always want a tire to run cooler if you want it to last longer. And the way to get it to run cooler is to overinflate it so it's nice and stiff. Now, if we if we follow the science behind this and the TMC talks about this tire manufacturers talk about this technically every time you load that truck you should be adjusting the tire pressure all of the charts really are based on weight so the heavier you run the more pressure you put into the tire and that that number that's on the side is not the maximum tire pressure it's not right. maximum at all, but that's what everybody believes it is. Everybody believes, oh, that's so, the maximum. I can't inflate it more than that. No, that's the maximum so you, at a certain weight. So you mentioned the tire manufacturers. These, these guys actually are a test platform for Cooper Tires, which is also right here in Finley. And uh, they, he's getting good information from them. He's, he's definitely involved in the TMC. What in the heck are these people telling him that says it's okay to run – 100 instead of 110, do you suppose? Well, it, it's okay. And again, if if he's getting the right information, it would be you always base your pressure on your weight. Well, that's good, but it's not practical in the real world. Nobody uh-huh. is going to take the time to try to adjust air pressure to weight every load. So not even every day. We're talking about employee drivers that exactly. maybe bring out right. a tire gauge when the when the tire kicks funny, it quivers. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So so Mike and I we both have the same approach, but it's different than almost everybody else in the industry. We like to run on the high side. He likes to it because it cuts down irregular wear. I like to do it because it improves fuel economy. It's not a huge improvement, but it's an improvement. So the only downside to it is it will make the truck ride a little rougher. Well, that's not a big deal to me. I'm willing to give up yeah. a little bit of ride. And, you know, I we, use road We have shocks three different versions ride. of air ride suspension now. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the truck rides so, rough. The air seat does not. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, it's an uphill battle to try to convince these guys because they're going to say the tire manufacturer said this, TMC said this. Why the hell would I listen to some guy on the radio? Yeah. So if you had to throw a number at it, what do you suppose the percentage would be? Is it negligible, or can you even say? You know, it's probably a tenth, and a tenth is virtually impossible to measure. So we can't test for a tenth. So to, to prove to somebody that it's there, I mean, I can go to the science. There is a calculation on this. Um, I don't have it in front of me anymore because nobody pays attention to it anyway. But there is a calculation uh, for every 10 pounds you increase, you decrease rolling resistance by X. Then we take that and we calculate it against fuel economy. 
but roughly it's going to be maybe a tenth. Um, and there's okay. a limit. You know, if we add 10 pounds and we increase a tenth, adding 20 isn't going to increase it two tenths. There's an upper limit oh. to where it helps. And we run into the upper limit, which is usually the limit on the um, rim, not the tire. That many right, times yeah, yeah I got that the other day, too. Handle. Yeah, many times you know, the you... tire will handle way more pressure than the rim will. Right. You know, you just reminded me of a question that I wanted to ask you last week about something the same maintenance director said. He said, when you put the skirts on a truck and gain 3%, you put the air tabs on and gain another, whatever you say it is, 2 or 3%. You put the, get the fairings all scooched, the trailer scooched as far forward to close up that gap, you gain a percent or so. Um, and then you put the, uh, the flow below and the hubcaps on and everything and gain another 3%. He says, those, all of those things do not actually add up to 10%. It's not a, cum, a cumulative thing. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and I don't know why. Um, it, yeah. and, and it's absolutely true because if we took everything that we know about fuel economy that we've proven over the years, on average, this change adds this much, this change. If we added them all up, we should be able to build a truck that gets 12 miles to the gallon. But we can't. We add them all in up. The real and world, ten, yeah, it ten seems to be that kind of upper limit right now until we come up with some new technology that'll help. But it, if we sat down and said, okay, this truck has no modifications and it's getting seven miles to the gallon, if we do everything and we add up all the improvements, it should be a 12 mile to the gallon truck, and it never works. They're, it's hey, not right cumulative. Yeah. yeah. Ten, so uh, ten my hat's off to Bruce and Pittsburgh Power for the, the new technologies that they're working on with the electric drives uh, and the regenerative braking and so on. I think that is definitely a, an, an excellent direction uh, for us to take and, and will very clearly get us over 10 miles per gallon with any truck that uses it, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think, you know, that's the kind of stuff we've got to do. But honestly, I, I don't see this guy changing his mind. A hun- Nobody in... Nobody in the industry is going to tell him 100 is too low. Um, I might, Mike Beckett might, but 100, by all the charts, plenty of air pressure. Um, It's just we think there's a better way. There just aren't many people that agree. So uh, he'll probably, it sounds like he is involved in a lot of things, and he'll go on taking their advice. And it's not going to cause any problems is not optimal, I don't think. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the calls. We're off to Georgia. Richard, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Got a wide base uh, single tire for you. Question. Um, <clears throat> I just converted my truck and trailer over to wide base, uh, and the rims that I got, I traded the, my duals off my truck for, my, for the wide base that I got on my truck. But the uh, singles that I bought for the trader, I bought them outright. Uh, paid $900 for the ones on the trailer, tra- uh, ram and tire. But uh, what's the uh, two different ones that's a zero offset? And that, what is it, a half inch or a two inch offset? A zero and a two. There are some other okay. weird ones out there, but those are the most common, zero and two. And if you take a two inch and flip it around the other way, it comes pretty close to zero. Okay, so it's still going to be sticking out just a little bit, but it's not going to be on a zero offset, right? Correct. It, it's When okay. you take a, a two and flip it around, you almost can't see the difference. You almost have to run it through like snow or something to be able to see the the little difference in width. Okay, now my truck, my axles are rated at 40,000. I've got them on the, on the two-inch offset sides that are sticking out farther. Uh, I do plan on changing them, turning them around, but I bought the Michelin X1 line Energy D. Uh, those are directional tires, so those aren't able to be rotated like normal tires, right? Or can you rotate those, like take the back, the back right and put it on the front left? Yeah, you can rotate them and flip them around. They're, they're, they are technically a directional tire, but... From what I've learned from Mike Beckett, it's a wear thing. It has nothing to do with anything except getting the tire to break in and wear properly. And he says that if you run that tire in the right direction for about 30,000 miles, then you can flip them around any way you want. Okay. And now on my trailer, the I got the Hendrickson suspension, and I, I think those are 24,000-pound axles. So will those be okay to leave those at the two-inch offset, or do I need to turn those around also? We are really recommending, yeah, we're recommending never to run on the two-inch. Always run on the zero. Okay, so I need to flip those around too then? Yeah, the reason we do is it's too unpredictable. Um Sometimes even the axles that they claim are rated to use the two-inch, you still run into some problems. So we've just kind of taken the idea that run them all on zero, and you will avoid the problems. Let's go to Minnesota. Steve, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this weekend uh, it was a pretty good theme with the uh, ending start module, and uh, I wanted to give you a, give the listeners uh, another idea of what can be done with it. Uh, uh, I've had mine for a year and a half now, and uh, they, it actually failed, and they next day it to me, but that was great customer service. But uh, what I ended up doing, I, I ran my uh, lead acid batteries until they were shot, and then uh, I looked around, I, I checked. I checked the Optimus, but Optima has been, the company has been bought by one of the mega battery makers, and now they've actually dropped the quality on those Optimus somewhat uh, since they bought it out. They're not built quite like they were two or three years ago, and they were still expensive. Uh, I actually got mine at Sam's Club, 
I got the Duracell uh, AGM deep cycle batteries for one seventy nine a piece, eighteen months full replacement uh, guarantee on it, and another eighteen months of prorated after that. So if you if it failed in nineteen months, I'd only pay ten bucks to replace them, or or twenty months, I'd pay twenty dollars, or twenty one months, thirty bucks. I mean, up to three okay. years, uh, you still you still get some guarantee on it. Um, and I had checked uh, some of the uh, listeners or checked some of the people that had that battery, and it was lasting four to five years. So uh, uh, that's a way to, uh, to have good ATM deep cycle batteries at a very good price. And uh, and after after this, I got one more thing I thought about after after I got off the phone with Bridget uh, to bring up to you too. But uh, what do you think about the uh, about that ATM battery? You know, I, I've actually used the Duracell before in uh, in one of the the RVs, and I didn't keep them for a long time, but they seemed like a quality battery, and it was a good price. And the other thing we have to remember is, if we're using any AGM, and we've taken it out of the start cycle because we have the Maxwell in there, any battery is going to last longer than what we're used to. And for $179, if I'm guaranteed 18 months and I have some coverage up to three years, that's kind of hard to beat. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Uh, the other thing I thought about was, uh, I don't know if you saw the FMCSA change rules last week, uh, a few rules, and I think this has to do with uh, what the National, uh, and this the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration they come out a while back, and uh, they put a bulletin out saying that wild singles were not safe over 65 miles an hour. And uh, FMCSA came out with a ruling the other day saying that certain wide-based singles were going to be uh, uh, speed-limited uh, if by, by law enforcement. So if you were going 75 and you had wide singles, you'd get a ticket. Uh, oh, and, and that's the way, that's that's the, that's the way it read. But I don't know if you saw a while back when Nissa said that his tires were not safe above 65. I don't know if you saw that or not. But I saw that. But then when this came out the last 10 days, it came out the 22nd of July. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of put it together as being that Nissa has influenced FMCSA to allow, you know, CVSA and the, and the law enforcement uh, to have another way to uh, get a little money off the truck. Now, I, I don't want to go over 65. I wouldn't want to go over 65 anyhow uh, myself. Right. But, but, you know, but, uh, but you know, it, they said, this was said they were unsafe above that, that uh, amount, uh, that, that speed. Um, and so I didn't know if you had heard that. Or, it, you know, maybe you could do some research into what this came out with. This was maybe six months ago, and, uh, yeah, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop when I saw that. I said, they may just ban wide singles on trucks because most every, you know, a lot of guys do like to run more than 65. Yeah, I, I remember when that came out. So what are your thoughts yes. on that? I know, too. Yeah, here's the thing. This is one of those regulations I could care less about because I've said for years, if you're going to run 70 or faster don't even worry about rolling resistance. Rolling resistance yeah. actually changes when we get up to those speeds. It becomes a much smaller factor. 
So if you're running 70-plus, you're not really concerned about fuel economy. So don't spend the money on a high or a low rolling resistant tire. And I've also said, certainly don't buy a wide single because they wear funny at that speed. You will wear out the center of the tire. And I believe that's why they become unsafe. What happens if you've ever watched a dragster take off with the big fat tires and they take off and the tire goes from being short and squatty and it stands up and gets tall and skinny. Yeah. That's what happens at high speed on a wide single. The edges start to pull up off the road and it elongates and only the center of the tire makes contact with the ground. So it's not a good tire to run fast. And, and I, the reason it becomes unsafe is because your contact patch gets much smaller. So right. I agree their testing is probably correct. Um, I don't know that we need a, a regulation because people are going to do it anyway. And here's the thing. How many law enforcement people know this? Probably yeah. none. Yeah, they, very few of them are going to read the bulletins like I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the odds of somebody getting a ticket because they were going faster than 65 with a wide single, my God. Not only do we keep piling regulation on top of regulation, we make them more and more complicated. You know, so, you know, I am still a huge fan of wide singles, but I'm also a fan of not running faster than 65. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, it was just something that kind of jumped out at me, and uh, I thought about it. Also, we also lose the ability... Uh, I don't know if you knew this on the 22nd one day. They came out with several regulations. One was, uh, you know, if you, if you pass a level one DOT inspection, uh, you actually have one year from that date to get your next DOT inspection on your tractor. You have that up to now. Uh, right. They disallow that in the future. Going forward, uh, a level one inspection being perfect doesn't matter. You still got to get a mechanic to check your DOT and, uh, uh, we we have a four month inspection at Landstar, and, and we had that ability to use that level one. But I think they'll take that away from us now. So yeah, like I say, they yeah. always come out with a little more regulation. Though. Well, thank you for your time today. So. You're welcome. It, it's job security. People in government have to do something. So if they can't think of new regulations to make, they'll just go change old ones. It's just ridiculous. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff from Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the calls. We're off to Texas. Raphael, welcome to the program. Hello there, Kevin. I had a question about, I got super singles on my truck, but I got the X 
the X1, XDN2s, I believe. Yes. And I was wondering the rolling resistance between that one and the the energy line. Yeah, What's it's the, not very the good. Difference? Um, the XDN2, the rolling resistance is 119, and the line energy D is 89. So you've got a, a 30-point difference, which is actually about three-tenths of a mile per gallon. Three-tenths, okay. So, all right, because that, that's what it came with, virgin rubber all, all the way around when I got this truck. So is it worth it just changing them over to energies? Well, it, it's a numbers game, so it, it's just some math, and it depends on how much you can get somebody to pay you for those. A lot of times you can get you know, pretty decent money for those because people don't pay attention to rolling resistance. So um, you know, at, at today's fuel price, three-tenths of a mile per gallon roughly costs you about $1,500 a year, maybe a little more, but let's go with 1500 at today's fuel price. So if you could make the swap and put less than $1,500 out of pocket to do it, then I would do it. My, my break even, you know, for an easy decision is about a year. If I can make my money back in a year, then I'll, I'll usually do it. If I have the money, I'll usually do it. Now, if it cost me 2500 to make the swap, which I can't imagine it costing that much, I would probably say no. I would just wear these out at today's fuel price. But if I could get it done for $1,500, it would be a slam dunk. I would just go do it. Oh, okay, okay. And then I had one question about, because I run a, a flatbed spread, spread axle, 10-foot 10 10 uh, spread. I've been having trouble getting a right tire close shoulder to take that wear on the front axle. What would you recommend? There isn't really a tire on the market that does handle that well. You know, I've talked to some people that now are you running duels back there? Yes, I'm running duels. You know, probably the best report, um, the tire that I've had people say does the best. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can remember what the, um, I don't remember the model, but it's a Continental. There was a Continental trailer tire that everybody said did really well on that spread, but I just don't remember which model it was. Okay. But All right. I think that almost every tire is going to give you some wear issues on that spread. Yeah, because I put some Michelins and I ate them up about like within five months at front, the front and left axle. So Yeah, you, you know, you can play around and try different tires. It, it, you might also want to go to a regional tire. So, you know, Michelins long haul tires are, are their best rolling resistance but they also make regional tires that, that stand up the scrubbing a lot better. Oh, okay. I might, I might see some of those, see what, see what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Check that out. That, that may help you. I think you're going to find that it's kind of hit or miss. I haven't consistently found a tire that really makes a big difference, 
Let's go to California. Adam, welcome to the program. Adam, are you there? Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, there you go. ahead. Uh, I Okay, so I... I, I you take a look at Adam, you're really breaking up bad. Try that again. Oh, boy. I think I'm losing you. Now I'm not hearing anything. Um, I'm going to put that on hold. We'll see if we can save it, although I think I'm going to run out of time. Um, let's go to Minnesota. Stuart, welcome to the program. Fair tax yesterday there, Kim. Absolutely. What do we got going on today? Well, uh, before we start, uh, I just want to say something. Uh, uh, y'all hooked me up through your mentorship program with uh, with Steve, the guy who just called a little while ago, the guy that gave you the update on the regulations. One of the yeah. nicest guys, and I honestly think that your mentorship program was probably one of the best phone calls I ever made. Oh, awesome. And, awesome. And now for the bad phone call. Have you got my oil sample in front of you? I, I do. Did uh, did you break out your box of crayons and start coloring on this thing or what? Oh, my God. I've got more colors on there than a gay pride parade, don't I? That thing is but just we, ugly. Um, yeah. But here's what the, have here's I the got good, going on? Here's the good news. There, there's a pretty obvious reason here, and I think if we fix one problem, we're probably going to fix the others. Uh, but you are going to need to do an oil change because we're going to need to reset here. You've got an intake problem, uh, a torn air filter. We're sucking dirt somewhere. Um, unless, okay. let me ask this, has the top end of the engine been opened any time recently? Yes, it has. This is, this is where it gets really funky and complicated. About 2,000 miles ago, I shattered my radiator. I replaced everything from the radiator forward. Uh, and uh, this is also that same engine that was pissing oil out of the side of the engine. And we found I had a, a, a blow-by tube uh, uh, blocked off. And we took the whole top end of the engine off and, and redid everything from the, uh, uh, from the head up. Okay, so, and the reason I ask that is because I'm seeing a lot of silicon. So, and, and silicon would cause the other problems. Silicon, right. I mean, it's, if you get enough of it in there, it's kind of like putting sandpaper to your cylinders. I mean, you will right. get wear metal. Um, All right. There's, it can get a little confusing when somebody opens up the engine because they could have gotten a lot of dirt in there when they opened it, but also some of the sealants we use to put it back together can show up as silicon. Because we're seeing all of a sudden the wear metals jumped up, I'm going to assume that it's dirt and it is causing some wear. Um, opening it up also caused some of the oxidation, so that's not a big deal. What we need to do here is just make sure I would reinspect things like the air cleaner, make sure things aren't torn, make sure the gasket is sealing properly when you put it in. Um, make sure we don't have, you know, a charger cooler leak somewhere or on the hoses. So I would, I would do a good thorough inspection on the whole intake system, maybe even, maybe even smoke test it. That's a great way to find something quick. And now, then I would change the oil. And then let's resample right. and see 15,000 miles. 
All right. I, I changed the oil when I grabbed the sample, and I've got a brand-new Duralast on there. Uh, you know, I did a Modine radiator and a Duralast uh, uh, charge air cooler there. Uh, but I mean, Dur- you, you don't. You don't think a brand new one would start leaching this soon, do you? No. If it's a Duralite, it's not leaking from the charge air cooler, but I would still smoke test the whole system because we okay. could find a, an intake manifold. We could find a clamp or a hose. We could find a turbo leaking. Um, it, the smoke test is the quickest way to find any leak in the entire intake system. And and it could okay. be anywhere. It, it, I wouldn't uh, pressure test the charger cooler because being a new Duralite, it should be just fine. But I would smoke test the whole system. All right. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you, and I'll let it into the shop as soon as I can. There you go. And uh, give me a call back. Let me uh, try to take another one real quick. Eric, you got about 30 seconds. All right. Um, my tax liability came back from a health insurance penalty. Uh, $2,850 for the year. Should I ignore it or should I pay it? Um, they're going to make you pay it unless you can. You can't just let it go by default. They're not going to forget about it. Um, you could possibly fight it and maybe win, um, but you can't just let it go. If you let it go, It's going to build up. They're going to charge you interest and penalties, and it's not just going to go away. Um, And for $28.50, unless you can figure out how to fight it on your own, and you could try, um, you could ask your tax preparer how much they would charge to go back and, and work with the IRS. What you don't want to do is spend more trying to fight it than you, you know, did just to pay it. Um, I think it's a horrible penalty. I think it's the worst one ever created, but you can't ignore it. I I wish we could, but you either have to pay it or you have to formally fight it and and see if you can get it changed. Those are your options. I'm all out of time. We'll see you next show. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.